wake up in the morning, love. And the sunlight hurts my eyes. And something without warning, love. Bears heavy on my mind. Then I look at you. And the world's all right with me. Just one look at you. And I know it's gonna be a lovely day. Welcome to WNHH FM's Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us in conversations and ideas that matter. It's a weird story, actually. Um, if you want, you want the full real story, the, the scoop? So I grew up a few blocks away from the library, and I'm the child of a librarian and someone who owns a ridiculous number of books, and I'm the sort of person who should have known about the library my entire life. But in fact, I did not set foot in the place until 2002 when I was 32 years old and was given a membership as a wedding gift. Um, yeah, uh, local journalist Chris Arnott gave me <laughs> a membership to the library as a wedding gift. And so I, I finally was brave enough to go up the stairs I noticed the sign. There's, there is this, um, I guess it's metal. I don't yeah. know what it's made of. There's this metal plaque in the doorway that says, Young Men's Institute Library, founded 1826. It's all very serious looking. And I had always been scared of it, frankly. Um, but I was given this wedding gift. So obviously, you know, I, I had to go up the stairs. And I walked up the stairs and was completely blown away yeah. by what was up that mysterious staircase. It's, it's, I always say this, but it's true. It's like walking onto the set of an old Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's this incredibly beautiful, weird Elegant. space. Yeah. It's, it's run down in a lot of ways at this point, but it is also unbelievably beautiful. Mm. And, for me, I worked as a as a bookseller in oh. New Haven for a long, long, long time, and I found books on the shelves there that I'd been trying to find a copy of to read for years. Oh wow! Things that just, they weren't the public library didn't have them, and maybe Yale had a copy, but they weren't going to lend it to me because I'm not a Yale person. And um, shout out to the owls. And. Uh, there it was. It was just sitting there. And in those days, it was 2002, and a year's membership to the Institute Library cost $15. Wow. And, and I thought, holy crow, like, here are all the books I want. And I just started <laughs> borrowing books like crazy. Um, since I have an interest in old fiction and sort of strange biographies, and it, it, was, it was just a goldmine for me. I um, so it's the gift that keeps giving. It really does, <laughs> and membership is now. They membership starts at, I think, thirty dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still a pittance when 
I mean, someone who walks up there and you immediately grasp it. Like if you're that kind of person who's addicted to these weird spaces and old books and just sort of, there's a, a sort of peace of mind that a lot of people get instantly on walking up those stairs. And that's worth $30 a year, like at minimum, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I, the first time I walked into the space, um, it's what I envision and think of what Yale would look like, right? Like mm. uh, the regalness of it, right? And I, uh, either that or like, you know, um, maybe the top floor, the third floor, that, that back room gives me Mad Men-esque vibes where I could see a ton of men sitting there reading their newspapers, smoking a cigar. It, yeah, I was about to say, you know that those rooms were once filled with cigar smoke. Um, not in my lifetime, but or not in my tenure anyway. Hey. I, I've never seen anybody smoke up there. But um, no, it's, it's just an amazing place. And what what I loved about it immediately was, I mean, so there's kind of the visual impressiveness and weirdness mm. of it. But what I, in a kind of like cosmic theoretical sense, love about it is that it's an independent space. Facts. So um, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Yale can have all kinds of great things in their collection, but you can't get to them if you're not a Yale affiliate. And the New Haven Free Public Library, of course, has all kinds of amazing things on the shelves, but they're also a very conventional library, and they do deaccessioning all the time, and they should. I'm not criticizing them at all. But they, they also have a lot of constraints because they are a publicly funded organ and you know they're just it's a it's an amazing organization the new haven public library but it has to follow a lot of rules and there's you have to respect that the institute library was founded before there was a public library system and before there was a public educational system at all in the united states oh wow and it was founded by a group of working men who wanted access to books and a life of the mind and conversation mm. with their peers about current events and so on, but they didn't have access to Yale, as many of us don't. And, and there was no publicly funded system to, to facilitate that. So they kind of said, well, you know, for a little bit, Every year we can we can get this going, and if everybody chips in a little bit, I mean, it's kind of like paying tax. You know, our taxes go to fund the public library. This was people independently deciding on their own to pay those little fees to create a library that would be usable by anyone in the New Haven community who wanted to use it. And it was from the get-go a very obviously progressively motivated place. It went, it, it's called the Young Men's Institute Library. In fact, it went co-ed after 10 years. Oh, wow. So from 1836, there were women. And if you, oh, the, wow. there's wow. actually a sign somewhere in the library. I think it's by the front door. It's a really old sign that talks about the the yearly rates for membership. And it's something like, 
I, I'm afraid I can't remember it exactly, but it's something like $3 a year for men and $2 a year for the women and children's yeah. memberships. Um, presumably because women and children, their books cost less. I, I have no idea why the difference in price. But um, but the fact is, everybody was welcome. The, the mm. idea of the place was that everybody was welcome. It was not an elitist organization. It was not um, looking to wall people off the way Yale did by by Yale's own definition of itself. You know, Yale is and it's well. the, it, an elite organization, right? Um, and the Institute Library was not that in its, you know, original conception. Yeah, no, um, that, you know, I, um, I often uh, think about the um, Institute Library as a place that is a great equalizer. And so, you know, um, for those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations on W and HHFM with your host, Justin Farmer, uh, and our guest today, uh, Eva from the Institute Library, um, talking about this great space. So um, I, I think something interesting that you just talked about, right, um, was that as early as 1836, this was a, 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 a enlightened space, right, uh, to have women... Um, and to also allow a place for children, right, to to potentially uh, gain some academic prowess and, and to to be knowledgeable about world events. And so, um, you know, I think about you know, oftentimes being in the sphere that I am, there's a lot of elitism, right, and, and I think two of the greatest uh, leaders of our time happened to correspond at the same time, being Lincoln, right, without a formal education, uh, and Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. right, um, self-taught uh, man who was enslaved, became a free man, right, uh, great, one of the most amazing orders uh, of our time. And so um, something interesting that I learned was that he had been to that space, right that that he had given a talk at that space and so you know what are your feelings and thoughts about like being in such a uh uh you know uh, enlightened space <laughs> that holds all of this history yeah. holds all this lineage well the building that now houses the library was actually it began construction in 1876 Prior to that, the library had been in several different spaces, all in the same area. Um, like the the building that is now, let me think, I think it's G Cafe. Okay. And uh, what's, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. Is that the Palladium building? Oh. Um, forgive me, people. I, I usually can remember this. But there's a, there's a building that is still standing around the corner on on Lower Orange Street, and the yeah. Institute Library was housed there, and there was another location where it rented space in the 19th century. The The space on Chapel Street where it exists now, the building didn't get completed until 1878. 
So oh. Douglas did not walk up those specific stairs, but he oh. did speak at the Institute Library. Okay. The Institute Library was a place that was very important on the 19th century lecture circuit. Um, you know, that once upon a time, that was how politicians and public intellectuals kind of got their word out to people. You would go on a speaking tour and kind of perform your your speech that <laughs> you were campaigning for. I mean, politicians obviously literally campaign, but even just writers and so on, you know, they would have a topic that they were, you know, chewing on and they would give these speeches to the public traveling around the United States. And and the, for New Haven, the Institute Library was a, a first stop, possibly the only stop. Mm-hmm. If you were going to choose between Yale University, you know, you, you could certainly speak at Yale, and it, I'm sure would have been a feather in your cap to speak at Yale, but you would be speaking to a very limited population by speaking at Yale. Whereas if you wanted to reach normal people, you would do it via the Institute Library. I mean, that was the public venue for, you know, stuff to happen in New Haven. So, you know, Douglas did speak, and there, there are a slew of, of other kind of legendary 19th century figures who, who stopped there. And people who are more into history and research than I am have dug up information on stuff like this. I'm, I'm afraid that's sort of not where my, my own obsessions lie in regard to the library, but I know that there, there's a little shelf at the library that held a row of books that was like people who have spoken at the library. Oh, um, somebody actually did the, the homework and figured out like, Emerson was here in this year, and so and so was here in this year, and um, and one one of the things that you glean from that list of names actually is again the the progressive movement. Like, who was speaking there? It's the you know the progressive, forward thinking men of the day. Um, I think many of whom probably were not welcome as speakers (laughs) (laughs) in other places, (laughs) but they were certainly welcome at the Institute Library. My own interest in this stuff tends to be, I I see, I perceive that same sensibility, but through the books that are on the shelves. Mm. And so I look at the books and I go, huh, this is really interesting because it was a private essentially private membership library, which means if they're buying a book, it's because they believe there's a person, literally a person waiting for it. Like someone really wants to read that thing. And we have a surprising amount of pretty serious left-wing stuff from the 20th century that I I know that people walk up the stairs and it seems like this old gentleman's club, like what what you were saying with the cigars and so on. And you get this image of, I don't know, you know, the titans of industry or whatever. <laughs> and yet on those shelves, we've got Emma Goldman's <laughs> memoirs and they are very heavily thumbed. Let me tell you. I mean, it's, it's clear that a lot of the people who made that place were taking political stances 
and it's clear where they stood on this stuff. You can see it in the nonfiction, like like Emma Goldman's memoirs. But you can also see it in the fiction if you sort of if you understand what you're looking at. My background is working as a, a dealer in out of print and rare books primarily, so I'm pretty good at sort of scanning a shelf and going, hmm, what do I see here? And and that whole story is on the shelves of the library. It's amazing. No, I I I um. It, it definitely is an amazing see. So I, you know, I often go in there to, you know, do some work, right, or to just kind of have a different a change of location to kind yeah. of, you know, center myself. And so I, I guess the question I have to you, what does it, it, the Institute Library look like? 20 years from now like what are the physically what are the things physically what are the things um socially that right like what what would continue the legacy of the institute library to to be this uh safe haven and place oh god well i mean the first thing that i would i mean if i had like all the power in the world kind of thing exactly (laughs) yeah if i were the benevolent (laughs) dictator of the world um I would get an elevator installed mm-hmm. as fast as humanly possible. That um, fast in that context would it would probably take like a year and a half of doing various fixes to the building. It, it's Good. a 19th century row house type structure, so installing an elevator is seriously not easy. But elevate our bodies and our minds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would love to see it have an elevator so that people didn't have to go up the stairs anymore. Although I would want to keep the staircase. Let me be clear. I think this people who are only um, hearing me talk about this are going to think I'm crazy. But if you ever come by 847 Chapel Street, the front staircase and the staircase to the third floor are kind of works of art to walk on. They're just amazing. And so I, I would hate to see them get sacrificed. But I would really like an elevator in there. And I, and I, what I see as the person behind the desk, I'm actually not the head librarian. I'm the operations manager of the library. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm the book person, but I'll, I do other stuff too. But I'm at the circulation desk every day, and I, and I see who's coming up. And what I see is this amazing mix of what New Haven really is. They're... There isn't a population, there isn't a demographic group that isn't coming up those stairs that I can think of. I mean, besides possibly young children, because we just don't have a children's section at this point. That was dissolved in the late 1960s. Like, we we don't have, you know, story time for kids. And for that, you really do need the public library. And they do a tremendous job at Ives. And all the branches have great children's programming. But once you're kind of a, you know, teenager, once you're about 14 or 15, you're welcome to, you know, come hang out at the library. It's a, it's an interesting place to be because it gives you a sense of being in the middle of downtown New Haven. You know, you're mm-hmm. 10 feet from the green, but it's this independent place and I think that the people who are drawn to it appreciate that 
it is its own spot. Yeah. It's not kowtowing to a major educational institution. It's not beholden to the city. Politicians. It, yeah, like <laughs> it can't be it can't be controlled by some larger body. It's it's just its own institute. strange it, it is its own <laughs> institute. And that means that we can do things that other places would find possibly burdensome as a program or um, too weird or frankly even forgive me people but seriously too dull like there are things that are not super sexy sounding that happen at the library all the time and and the idea is just it's about people wanting to come together to kind of shoot the breeze and do some weird little activity I've, I've, I'm really surprised recently in the last, I think, four months, somebody decided to start a, um, a sewing bee, which is uh-huh. the kind of program that would never have occurred to me in a million years. And I thought, okay, like I would never go to that, but if somebody else wants to do it, that's absolutely fine with me. And to my astonishment, that little group, <laughs> That's a very devoted following. And what happens is people from, and it's people from all different backgrounds and all different age groups, they bring their projects to the library and spread them out. We have these big tables. And people spread out their stuff that they're working on. And they do their, their sewing stuff or embroidery or crochet, like whatever it is. And they talk to each other. And it's incredible because you have a wide age range. You have... People from totally different walks of life who I'm very confident would never have met each other. But now they are like friends. Woven together. They are woven <laughs> together. And and I think that the, the Institute Library, for whatever reason, does a great job of making these very improbable-seeming connections between people. Um to me, they're actually not so improbable seeming because I'm from New Haven and I understand that in New Haven, it's not six degrees of separation. It's, you know, 1.2 degrees of separation. Mm. But, <laughs> um, but the library really does do a tremendous job of bringing people together in that way. And I think they feel very, I think people feel very um, comfortable and it's it's their sanctuary. I mean, the, the, it's it's a library without the shh yeah. of of a library, and also without without being intimidating. I mean, yeah. if someone's intimidated by me, I I don't even know what to, <laughs> what to think. Um, we're not stern people up there, except for the sign-in sheet. Got to sign in. It's true. <laughs> we, I do now have to ask people to sign in at a clipboard, but I mean, seriously, that's that shouldn't be a big hindrance for people. I feel. No, no. Um, and there's a candy dish that makes up for the indignity, <laughs> right? It's so terrible that you have to sign in, but you can have a fireball or a bit of honey, yeah. or I don't know, other candy. <laughs> no, I. You know, I um. Shout out to uh, Ali and Dom 
um, um, yes. they had a wedding at, at the uh, institute. Um, and that it was, was just, the best. <laughs> it was beautiful, right? It was a beautiful thing to just see this space be transformed again um, um, and invite people together in such a way. Um, I've been there, right, for um, social gatherings, right, whether it's talking about policing or the environment or just youth groups um, mm -hmm. um, talking about education. And so I guess the question I, I have for you, right, why are institutions, organizations, places like the Institute important now, right? Because I, I feel like a lot of people feel that they can connect via social media. A lot of people feel yeah. that they can connect um, right at a coffee shop. But why this type of place? Um, I think connecting via, I mean, I have a million Facebook friends myself. I am someone who very much has a life online. And, and I do the social media for the Institute Library. I mean, we have a Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff. And I'm the person who connects with the world in those ways. There is something very immediate and pure, though, about standing next to somebody in a room or you know, sitting next to them at the big round oak table that's in the front of the library, that you can't fake it, basically. I mean, it just, that is the real deal. And, you know, it's, there's a, I don't think it's a meme exactly, but there's something that I see on Facebook all the time, which is some genius said, you know, wouldn't it be crazy if they decided to make libraries so that, like, you had to pay money every month to be a member and it would be like Netflix but for books? Like, that could happen. And and I go, that's yeah, so that's how libraries started. <laughs> and there's this place that I work at where, I mean, you could pay by the month, but really it it starts at $30 a year, which is way less than Netflix. It's way less than you're paying for coffee at a cafe. If you go to get coffee, you know, five times a month, you have spent more on your coffee than you would have to gain, you know, a membership at the library. Anyone can use the Institute Library, by the way. You don't have to be a member to come hang out. You do have to be a member to gain access to borrowing books and some other things that sort of are, you know, there's a reason why people buy memberships there. It's, but it's, um, I worry that in an era when funding for library, public libraries is under threat mm. and kind of, I sense a lot of frustration not so much in New Haven necessarily, but there are a lot of places where public libraries are very embattled zones. And a place like the Institute Library can weather that for the simple reason that it predates it. And its entire framework is a, it, it doesn't have that public funding element. This also makes us vulnerable. Like we need the people to support us and buy memberships preferably at higher levels than $30 a year. Um, 
But at the same time, we're not strong-arming people into those higher-level memberships. And the idea is that this really is that public space. We get youth groups that meet upstairs, and it's clear that the kids, these are public school kids in New Haven, they fall in love with this place. And, And I think that they feel like it is their special place the way that, you know, when I was 25 years old, the anchor was my special bar. <laughs> like it's, I think it's a really deep connection on an emotional level for a lot of people. And, and that's special. I don't think there's a lot of that. It certainly doesn't happen online. Right. No. That's that's a, a visceral reaction that does not happen with Facebook. You need the, the physical space to do that. No, that I, I, I wholly agree. You're listening to Just in Time Conversations um, with your host, me, Justin Farmer and Eva um, uh, Operations. Operations engineer. Manager. <laughs> uh, operations Guru. No, I, I, one of our volunteers says I'm the house mother, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of my favorite memories, um, you know, um, the other day, the, the, the decision on Roe versus Wade came down. Yeah. Um, and uh, between organizing and figuring out logistics for works things, um, I popped into the Institute library and I was trying to ponder on um, how to capture my thoughts, right? And how to, to, to share um, that this is a fight that is, that is, um, um, is very much grounded in New Haven, in Connecticut, right? Oh, right. Um, and, and so I remember I popped in and I was just like, well, I know, you know, Roe versus Wade, right? Like, you know, Griswold versus it Connecticut. It starts really with Griswold, right? right. right. And, and that, you know, we had this Planned Parenthood here in New Haven um, that that started this site, and, right? Um, sometimes I'll give credit to Yaley's, right? You, you had, right, uh, uh, you know, the, these... health professionals who said, you know, we're going to give out contraception, right? We're going to challenge these stodgy 1860 laws and we're, we're just going to do it until you arrest us. Right. And we want to make this a case to go to the Supreme court. Um, and so I remember coming in and I said, you know, I know the building is here in new Haven, but where, you know, where's this picture taken? That's right. You had a picture (laughs) And there was a number on the building. It was a house, right? Yeah. There was a number on the building in the background of the picture, but there was no detail in the, there was no caption yeah. that said, standing in front of whatever number it was. But we went to the city directories and figured it out in about 10 seconds, as I recall, something like that. <laughs> uh, organizer's Ted, but maybe a minute. Right? Okay, <laughs> but it it was it did not take a long no. time. That was fun. 
No, it was and it was just so fun to know that there was a place I could go to to ask this question that had an institutional memory of these secret spaces, right? Like I, I think about Ralph Ellison, right? And, and so there are times where when I'm walking around New Haven, I'm like, oh yeah, Ralph Ellison, you know, was a visiting professor here, right? Uh, who wrote The Invisible Man, one of my favorite books. Um, definitely you should read it, right? Um, I think about the Black Panthers trials, right? That happened in front of a courthouse in the 70s. And so, um, you know, I, I know institutions and places like this are so important. Um, and, and so this is the reason why I, I'm excited every time I go to the Institute is because I know all of these fights and struggles that people have moved through this space and, and have thought and pondered or um, been connected, right, um, in community. Um, you know, can you share with us one of your, like, what's a memory or what's something that, uh, a time, an instance at the Institute that really sticks out to you? Oh, well, I mean, in recent memory, recent, so I, I said before that I was given a membership to the library originally as a wedding gift. One of the things that I got really angry about having gone up the stairs was that my husband and I didn't get married at the library. <laughs> <laughs> um, we wouldn't have been able to do it for a bunch of reasons, primarily to do with there not being an elevator. But that said, it, it's the kind of place where we would have been so happy to get married there. And... For many, many years, I was a member of the library. I didn't work there, but I was just a member, and then I became a board member. And the whole time, I was like, you know, someone's got to get married up here someday. Like, I don't know who's going to be crazy enough to undertake this, because it wouldn't be easy, but I want there to be a wedding up here. And with Allie and Dom, that finally happened. Like, it took 20 years of my life. I had to wait 20 years to see it happen, but it totally happened, and I was there, and it was amazing. It was amazing. There, there were lots of endless decorating and you know hanging things and moving furniture. It was a huge amount of work. I'm not going to deny that, and boy, was I exhausted when, when all was said and done. But it makes me so happy that that finally, finally happened. I... I think that might be, in recent memory, my favorite thing to happen at the library. But there are also great moments that are just kind of in the category of really strange. Um, I once attended a seance at the Institute oh. Library, and oh. that was a weird night. Like, I'm... It's it's not a story I'm gonna I don't have time to tell the whole thing. It's, it's in multiple thing. ways, huh? Um <laughs> it's it's a complicated place. I there was one time when when the New Haven Review was still being published, they, they had a party annually at the library. It was usually February or maybe early March. And there was some guy who I, I forget what year this was, but some guy came to the New Haven Review party. And he had traveled to it from, I want to say, Philadelphia. Okay. And I 
I mean, I can't remember his name, and I'm really sorry. He was a writer. He traveled from Philadelphia to come to this party. And at some point in the evening, he walked up to me and he said, my friends tell me that you're the person I should ask this question. And I figured the question was going to be something like, you know, what is this place? Or where's the bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) Something kind of routine, you know. And he asked me, are there spirits here? Do you feel that there are spirits here? And, And I said... As a matter of fact, hey? <laughs> I do think that there are spirits here, but I think that they are entirely benevolent. Like, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's definitely stuff going on here, but that it's not something to be scared of. It's like, it's a good thing. And apparently this man was very, very, very involved in some... N- Serious form of spiritualism. I, I, I wish I could remember anything more about this man, but he was not some hippie flake. This, this was a serious religious enterprise for him. And apparently he had walked in the building and just immediately felt that there was something complicated happening there spiritually, but that it was good. Okay. And so his, what he wanted was to talk to the person who spent the most time in the building to see what <laughs> would I confirm or deny or just laugh, I guess, laugh at him, which I would never do. Like, I take questions like that seriously. So I will say that my daughter for years has referred to the third floor bathroom as the haunted bathroom. Oh, okay. but I think that's mostly because she thinks that the, the 19th century urinal up there is weird looking. I don't know. Oh. I don't think she actually thinks it's haunted. Oh. At least I hope not. Y'all heard it here? Yeah, really. You're listening There's a to haunted Justin. bathroom. <laughs> You're listening to Justin Time Conversations on WNHHFM with your host, Justin Farmer, and Eva uh, of the Institute Library. Um, good vibes, uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> nothing but good vibes at the, the Institute Library. Yeah. Um, I, in, in terms of Right, as we come closer to, to, to the end of our time. Yeah. Um, what's a favorite book and what's a favorite song? Well, I don't play music up there. Oh. <laughs> like, as a rule, oh. I don't play music up there. There have been times, especially during, during COVID, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes I would go, we were closed to the public for many months, like everybody. Um, but there were days where I had to go in to do administrative work and I would sit at the desk and realize I could play music and it wouldn't matter because I was, (laughs) I was guaranteed to be the only person up there and I would play music on my computer and it was a really weird feeling, Justin. It felt wrong. It felt wrong. I do whistle a lot in there when I'm by myself and I've been known to sing Oh, okay. Also, when I'm all alone in there. Oh, okay. Well, that, I'm like, how have I missed this? Um, uh, I would probably the song I whistle the most or would be two. One is This Will Be Our Year by the Zombies. Okay. And the other is Barbara Streisand's My Man. <laughs> For whatever reasons, those are the songs that I, I default to. But it varies. Um 
there's a volunteer who laughs at me because he thinks it's funny when I do Gilbert and Sullivan songs. Okay. Yeah. Like well I did with Cat Like Tread once and he joined in, you know. Oh. Um, with me, you never know. It, it, it could be anything. I was but, like, no, there's a juxtaposition. I'm uh, like, <laughs> there's, it's, a, it's a lot of weird. It's a lot of we- random songs pop into my head. But, you know, I used to work at Cutler's Records. Like, my uh, head is a jukebox, dang. and you just never know <laughs> what's going to turn up there. Could be Stevie Wonder. Could be Peggy Lee. I don't know. Um, but favorite book, I mean, I will always, always say Anti-Mame by Patrick Dennis is my favorite book up there. But the truth is, there are a lot of favorite books of mine up there. And, you know, there are a lot of favorite books of a lot of people up there. Everyone's got a different thing they're looking for. And I I may not share the, the reading taste of somebody, but one of, the, one of the things about being a bookseller is that I don't have to share your tastes i just have to know like what is your taste and how do i meet it you know like it's a matter of knowing what books lead to what other books and it's everything is an index to everything else and um it doesn't matter what i like to read ultimately i read crap though just for the the record i'm the least ambitious reader in the world <laughs> it's good crap it is very high quality crap but it is crap no i i yeah for me i i am very serious in my reading yes you are which almost always uh uh almost always leads to like like man existential crisis very yes upset or like mm. And this is why I'm not that kind of reader is that I, I really feel like life, day-to-day life is really burdensome, to put it mildly. And I will, I will turn into a wreck if my reading, to me reading is my entertainment and my escape. And so where can we find y'all? Like what days is the institute open from until... Okay, so we we are located at 847 Chapel Street in downtown New Haven, which is nearly invisible.
that look for them in the mall I don't play with these cats, I ain't got nothing to say to these cats For the moment they really do love them, please pay for these cats Cause I know they all hard-headed, but I ain't got the patience Don't want me having no patience, turning to more patience Won't take the ICU, cause I see you Trying to get away with 